Hello, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us so bright and early um, for an A-Digital event supported by Euractive as their media partner, I'm Mariam Zaidi. And today we're going to be discussing the Spanish presidency and the future of European digitalization. Now, as we all know, digitalization has, of course, changed the game. It is everywhere. It's in everything that we do. And the more and more we use it, the more and more potential we can see for what it can do for us. Now, the European Commission was, of course, determined to make this Europe's digital decade. They have a 250 billion euro budget to strengthen data, tech and digital infrastructure. Spain, who, of course, took over the rotating council EU presidency till the year's end, leaned into that ambition, underlying goals for better recovery, resilience and strategic autonomy via greater digitalization. And they say that if you if you wants to get to where it wants to get to, it could boost its economy by 21 percent. So where is Spain's digital health at? Well, it ranks seventh on the European Commission's Digital Economy and Society Index. It's also part of a group of European countries, the D9+, 12 EU countries at the forefront of digitalization. It's a hub for biotech, cybersecurity and entrepreneurship is on the rise. It also says that it ranks third in terms of connectivity and broadband. But I've heard from some of my colleagues who are part Spanish that that's not the case in the villages. But yeah, good connectivity is always a good thing. We all love a good bit of Wi-Fi. So what does Europe need to do to get to where it wants to go to? How can Spain continue to be part of this digital surge going forward? And what are the key components that need to be put into place? A strengthened digital single market. Where should investments be made? Emerging tech like quantum and AI, cyber, carbon neutrality. Now today, as you can see, we have assembled a great team of experts in their field with a keen focus, of course, on Spain. And you're going to be hearing from them very soon. And today is a little bit different, everyone. We have two panels, of course. These are your first panelists. We also have a fireside chat with a DG of DG Connect. But first, as always, a little bit of housekeeping. You are, of course, being recorded. This event is being live streamed. So if you don't like cameras, hide and duck. Uh, do send in your questions into Slider. I've got the iPad with me, so I'm looking forward to all of your questions and your comments for, of course, all of our guests and panellists. You can also see that uh, QR code, so do scan it as well. Um, and you can also ask your questions to Roberta Viola from DigiConnect as well. Um, and, of course, we will, of course, pick out your questions for later on in the programme. So, as always, everyone, do get involved. And also, thank you to our, everyone who is, of course, joining us online. I forgot to mention you guys as well. Okay, so with that, let's kick everything off. First things first, we have a video message from Spain's Deputy Prime Minister, Nadia Calvino Santamaria. It is a great pleasure to participate in this expert event in digitalization and telecommunications. If you ask me why Spain, I can tell you Spain is the place to be today in this area. Definitely. And this is because we have done our homework and we can proudly say that in the last five years we have succeeded in making Spain a global digital hub. Uh, our experience in, in this field is positive and very clear. When we took office in 2018 we knew that digitalization had to be one of the main levers of our government's economic policy to modernize the country. We did not start from scratch. We counted on very strong broadband infrastructures, leading companies in strategic sectors to drive the process, and a strong digital administration, particularly in some areas such as tax and health. 
But there was no strategic plan to support the digitalization of SMEs, we were lagging behind in digital skills, and there was no public policy on artificial intelligence and other disruptive technologies. We did not know then that technological change would accelerate exponentially as a result of the pandemic and that we would have an unprecedented investment capacity thanks to the next generation EU funds. Fortunately, the digital transformation agenda has been made a top priority in our government, integrated into the Ministry for Economy, elevated to a vice presidency. In July 2020, we published the España Digital Agenda, a very ambitious strategy to support the digital transformation of the country with reforms and investments in the three areas of infrastructure and technology, economy and people. And we have allocated 20 billion in our recovery and resilience plan and published eight specific roadmaps to ensure 100% high-speed connectivity, to lead the deployment of 5G in Europe, to strengthen cybersecurity to support research and innovation in the area of artificial intelligence with a humanistic approach that protects our rights and democratic values, to promote the digitalization of SMEs and public administrations, to enhance and support digital entrepreneurship and a 30% increase in audiovisual production. And finally, to provide all citizens with the necessary digital skills to access the jobs of the future, which are more and more the jobs of the present, while protecting individual rights in the digital environment. Today, three years later, this vision of digital public policy is bearing fruit. Let me give you just a few examples. Spain is the first country in Europe to close the digital divide in broadband access in the country. With a combination of fibre and satellite coverage programmes, we are bringing broadband to 100% of our territory. In terms of 5G, Spain is above the EU average and we are launching several initiatives to take this technology beyond the large cities so that it benefits citizens and companies throughout the whole country. The Spanish audiovisual sector is in a very sweet moment with a significant increase in revenues and international success. We have fostered legal reforms to promote the digital ecosystem, such as the telecommunications law, startups law, uh, the uh, audiovisual law. And it's no coincidence that Spain is the southern country with the highest number of scale-ups and unicorns. We have launched flagship special outstanding projects such as Quantum Spain, the first quantum uh, computing ecosystem in Southern Europe, or Spain Neurotech to develop technological tools based on neurotechnologies. We have set up the first supervisory agency for artificial intelligence and are launching together with the Commission a sandbox to get the regulation of this area right. And we have also launched several initiatives to promote research and talent in Spanish universities uh, in areas of artificial intelligence, semiconductors and also cybersecurity. We have launched 12 strategic projects for the economic recovery, all of them incorporating digitalization as a lever for modernization in areas such as the electric and connected vehicles, precision health or the digitalization of the water management cycle. 
And uh, um, thanks to these initiatives, we are already attracting very relevant investments by large uh, technological leaders uh, at international level. For example, Cisco, Intel, Broadcom, iMac, uh, all of them are choosing Spain to set their bases uh, for R&D and other initiatives. And in addition to projects in cutting-edge technologies, we have a flagship initiative to support the digitalization of SMEs, the Digital Toolkit Program, which is a great success. Uh, Spanish SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, have already received more than 280,000 digital toolkit vouchers for more uh, than 1.3 billion euros to undertake the necessary investments for their digitalizations. Our public administrations cannot be left behind. We have launched almost 1,000 innovation projects. Uh, a key success story is Mi Carpeta Ciudadana, which is a real paradigm shift in the way citizens access information and public services, allowing them to interact from their mobile phones with just one click. And thanks to the National Digital Skills Plan and the Generation D Pact, we're putting in place a series of actions and courses benefiting from public-private cooperation to upskill and reskill citizens so that all of them can access uh, the new digital economy. And all these projects are, are overseen by the Digital Rights Charter, which has become a reference for initiatives at the European, Latin American and global levels. Thanks to all these measures, a real structural change is taking place in Spain. The Digital Decade Report, published a few weeks ago by the European Commission, confirms Spain's leadership in the digital field. Employment growth in the areas of science, IT, uh, R&D, has increased by almost 50% since 2018. One in four new jobs uh, created in Spain since the pandemic has been in these new technologies, science and digital sectors. And this is why Spain is now making a decisive contribution to the collective effort to achieve the digital decade uh, targets, as we have discussed a few days ago in, in León during the informal meeting of telecommunications ministers. We are halfway through the recovery plan and also halfway through the uh, Spanish presidency and we have put a stop priorities closing some of the key files in the digital area. For example, those linked to artificial intelligence or the, uh, or the digital identity. The Spanish recovery plan has enabled a very strong economic recovery after the pandemic and thanks to these public policies we are also transforming, modernizing the country so that it is more efficient, more competitive and more resilient in this uh, increasingly complex world. The digital transformation process is unstoppable and so we need to harness it so that it leads to a stronger economy and a better society so that we can look into the future with confidence and build a better, a stronger, a common project for Spain and Europe. So it's not a question, it's not why Spain, it is an affirmation, it's an assertion. It is, of course, Spain. Thank you very much. Okay, well it seems as if the Spanish Deputy Prime Minister definitely thinks that Spain is the place to be. She was talking about broadband, telecom, audiovisual, startups.
Attracting big companies, what do our panellists think? Um, can we really harness digitalisation? Well, let's ask them then. Um, time to open the first debate then. We're going to be discussing boosting the European digital decade, stronger sectors through digitalisation. Please welcome everyone. Uh, Christoph Steck, he's a public policy director at Amazon Spain and Portugal. Welcome. Um, Anna Abade, she's the public policy manager at Spain and Portugal at Booking.com. Welcome. Um, we have Daniel Uges, he's the head of product at Wallbox. And last but not least, we have Carlos Romero Dupla, he's the digital transformation attache at the Spanish Permanent Representation. Okay, brilliant panel, thank you all for being here today. Um, now, I'm going to give you all the floor, but as I do, since we are, of course, discussing Spain, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to everyone here and everyone who is watching online with this key question. Is Spain a key territory for business growth, investment and digital transformation? And Christoph, you can go first. Well, thank you very much, uh, first of all, to, to A-Digital and to Euractiv for inviting us. Um, uh, of course, from Amazon side, um, and I'm responsible for the team for public policy in Spain and Portugal, uh, we believe Spain is uh, a very attractive place to invest. Um, maybe a good example is I'm not sure who in the room and on the screens remember the last uh, Spanish presidency in 2010. Um, just to give you the information that at that time in 2010, Amazon was not even operating uh, in Spain. Uh, today we have 22,000 employees in Spain um, and we are basically uh, one of the biggest employers there. And Spain is only next to Germany, um, the, the, the most important place where we have most employ uh, uh, employees in, in Europe. So it shows that Spain in this last you know, decade um, has become a super interesting place to invest. So, I mean, going back to your question, the question is clearly yes. I think the, the reasons uh, have been laid out by, by Nadia Calvino quite well. Uh, we find a lot of talent uh, and really interesting um, possibilities to grow the business. Uh, it's an attractive place um, to be. Um, so we can attract talent from outside of Spain, but also find the talent in Spain. And we have seen that also the, the market in the end in Spain is working quite well. So we have currently um, a lot of uh, investments also in, in uh, R&D, for example, uh, in Spain. Uh, we see that it's developing quite well. We have a couple of our businesses uh, for Europe headquartered in Madrid as well. Um, and so we see that um, we have a good, a good investment climate and we are quite happy um, with, with Spain in that regard. Um, maybe just to, to end on something, um, I think a very important issue um, is currently, of course, the access to affordable and especially green energy. And I think there Spain um, has a really important uh, position in Europe currently. So we see that uh, we find um, renewable energy um, at, a, at a reasonable price in Spain. And we have just announced uh, last week uh, that we are going to duplicate our investments um, in Spain in solar facilities and in what we do on the rooftops of our logistical centers. So we want to uh, double the capacity to 2.3 uh, gigawatts, which basically means, uh, just to give you an idea, uh, more than one million households in Spain. I mean, that's the capacity that Amazon uh, is, is having in Spain uh, regarding renewable energies. And I think that shows that we find this right mix between, you know, basically skills, between talent, between access to energy um, and the right investment conditions. So yes, we are uh, very happy to be in Spain and it's uh, one of the strategic and key countries for Amazon Europe. Okay, brilliant. Um, just a quick follow-up though. I mean, how can Spanish them as cheaper for solar? 
Just a quick follow-up, how, how come Spain is so much cheaper for solar? How much is it? How, how is Spain so much cheaper then for solar? Oh, it's because, uh, sorry, basically it's cheaper because I think you, you have the right, uh, we have a lot of, you see a lot of in, uh, investments in uh, solar um, capacity, so basically what we call off-sites, um, that means, you know, big uh, photovoltaic uh, installations in Spain, and we see the right regulatory environment, and we see also the, the, the right investment vehicles to do these kind of things. So there's a whole ecosystem around um, solar, um, especially solar, but also eolic uh, energy in Spain. Of course, you know, Spain has a good climate. I mean, uh, I, I'm German, so, I mean, the sun shines a bit more in Spain than in other parts of Europe. So it's a little bit of luck uh, uh, as well. But I have to say that it's not only that. I mean, you can basically, um, the government has done the right steps to attract these investments and has a clear strategy um, on, on attracting more. Um, and we see these conditions uh, in, in the right place. In Spain. Brilliant. Um, so, Anna. Same question to you then, is Spain a key territory for business growth investment and digital transformation? And please do introduce yourself to this lovely audience. Sure, so I'm Anna, I'm the Public Affairs Manager for Spain and Portugal at Booking.com. I'm sure you've all used Booking.com, but let me first introduce the company. We were born in Amsterdam in 1996. We're quite an old company for the tech sector. Our, our global headquarters are still in Amsterdam, so I think we are one of the few true global tech success stories of Europe. And that, of course, is thanks to countries like Spain. Barcelona was the first office that opened outside of Amsterdam in 2005. Actually, it was the same week Barcelona and Paris. I like to think that Barcelona came first just when a few hours. Um, so that, that lets you know how important it was for Booking.com to be present in Spain. Now we have eight offices in Spain. We employ around 186 people, and we have 200,000 active listings. That is hotels, STRs, etc. in our platform. Most of them are SMEs. We contributed just in 2022 to 170 million reservations in Spain. That means people staying in our country and visiting our country. You can only imagine the huge economic impact that has for the whole economy. So yes, Spain is crucial and it's crucial not only for how important it is for the tourism in the international scene because it's one of the top five countries in the world. It is crucial because SMEs there are ready to be part of Booking.com and SMEs there are ready to harness the big opportunities that digitalization brings. Yeah? Get my and back, so thank you so much. Uh, okay, next to Daniel, the same question as well. Yeah, so I'm Daniel, I'm the head of product for energy at Goldbox. And the question is how a company eight years ago in Spain could create something that changes the EV industry, the electrical vehicles, right? In Spain, <laughs> where in Spain, I, don't know exactly the numbers, but we were selling almost zero EV cars, you know? And it's because of the ecosystem, right? Of course, we have a lot of talent. We have people that it's very resilient on how to innovate, how to find different ways to solve problems. But as well, we need the ecosystem, right? And mainly, mm -hmm. we need incubators, accelerators, VC capitalists that could provide you money and trust in you to make you grow. And this is what we found at Wallbox, right? So that helped us to grow. 
and to become one of, of the first unicorns. Today, we are employing more than 1,000 people in Spain and in and, and the United States as well. And last week, we bought a company in uh, Germany to become the European uh, electric vehicle charging leaders and energy management, right? So, and then the other, the other part, very important part, is the talent. So to build an EV charger and an electrical uh, car charger, you need a lot of profiles. You need people from mechanical point of view, uh, hardware point of view, electronics, power electronics, firmware, software. You need finance. You need everything, right? And we found all that talent in Spain, of course, in Barcelona. So Barcelona is a very attractive city to work and to live. So that puts us the things a little bit easier, but you have to do it, right? And yeah, and we did it in Spain, and we are proud of. Okay, brilliant. Just a quick follow-up. So when did everything, what was the year when everything really took off for you then? Uh, 2015, when 2000. we started, you mean? 2015, eight, eight years ago, when EV cars were almost nothing. Yes, exactly, <laughs> weren't they just, and now they are, well, they should be everything for all of us. Uh, Carlos, same question to you then. Um, how is Spain, or is Spain, in your opinion, a key territory for business growth, investment, and, of course, digital transformation? And please do introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you, thank you for, for the, the invitation first to Adigitale and Euroactive, and thank you to you for, for coordinating this this panel. Uh, yeah, I'm Carlos Romero. I'm uh, the Digital Transformation Attaché in the Rep and coordinator during the presidency, who, which is really being a, a really charge over charge presidency, I think, with a lot of things. You know, it's end of legislative period, so we have really a lot of work and what to say after the vice president. So basically, she's my boss, so I cannot more than uh, <laughs> insist on the, on the ideas she has put on the table, but really, indeed, I think Spain, on, uh, from the public perspective and on the digital, I think we have been a, a country where this bipartisan, if I can use the expression, is really, is really, is really a fact. So uh, the government uh, has been really insistent and, and promoting the digitalization and fostering the digitalization of the country. And I, I, I would like to, to point out one thing, because here we, we, we are with a, a digital and uh, two things. Uh, we have last week the uh, European Startups uh, Nation Alliance, the ESNA in Leon, where Spain has really uh, put a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of uh, force, a lot of strength, trying to support this uh, European streamlined effort for uh, supporting startups and scale-ups in Europe. And I, I think this should be a reality. We have to recognize the specificities of startups and scale-ups. Uh, and uh, to try to help them in, in many issues, uh, funding, uh, uh, harmonizing uh, regulation, trying to promote uh, uh, their, their growth. Um, this, uh, this, of course, Spain, I think, has uh, adopted last year the, 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 the startups legislation, which I think has been a, a, another very important, very important, uh, let's say, achievement from the point of view of Spain, trying to support the digital transformations from the point of view of the startups and, and scale-ups companies. Leon has been, you know, this week a quite important city, not only because of the ESNA formula, uh, but because of the uh, informal council of ministers, where the main European leaders in digital has been reflecting uh, on different issues. Uh, Vice President talked about connectivity, future of connectivity has been an issue where I think 
fruitful cooperation from all actors, and I want to insist on this, uh, should be uh, a way to really go on that direction, uh, trying to improve uh, connectivity, which is the base, is the, by the way, is the base of, 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 of successful digitalization. Okay, thank you so much. Um, now, I know that your boss slightly stole your thunder. Um, so, I'm going to switch things up, and there is a question from the audience for you, Carlos. It's from Leonardo. Is Leonardo here? Or Leonardo doesn't want to make himself known. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, so, the question is, I was wondering whether, could you elaborate on the work of the Spanish presidency inside the D9 Plus group, and whether there's any specific discussion going on in that format, e.g. fair share, network fees, critical text, or other topics? And he says, thank you. Well, look, you know, uh, Spain started to work with D9 Plus, and because indeed we are, uh, as uh, has been uh, said by the Vice President, the seventh uh, more digitalized country uh, on the, the, the Digital Economy and Society Index, and we, th we thought we were a sort of challenges in that group, in D9 Plus, and we, we have been, uh, I think we can, uh, yeah, indeed, we can, we can, we can uh, set up a sort of bridge in the in the in the narrative, in uh, between uh, well the traditional uh, European countries, let's say more continental, and those more Atlantic, if I can use this expression. And I think Spain indeed is happy to 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 play this bridge role in this group in reflecting, and as I said before, in this famous debate of the future of connectivity. We need a solution, but this solution should be cooperative and 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 and, and should point out in different aspects and uh, I don't want to uh, <laughs> enter into the specificities on a, of a concrete uh, area of this debate because we think and pre precisely Leon has been the uh, 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 an enormous and, and very um, good opportunity to reflect on a really with a broader scope broader scope than the one we had in Luxembourg by the way before the summer and I think this has been extremely fruitful so yeah I think we, 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 we have a, a role to play in this. Okay, well, I hope um, that, Leonardo, that answers your question for you then. Um, okay, so Christoph, coming to you. Now, Anna, you were talking a lot about SMEs. Um, in your opinion then, Christoph, do you think Spanish SMEs are well-equipped? Um, and what services do you provide to speed things up? Can everyone hear the microphone? Hear yes, it's working, it's working. Yes, Someone saying out. no. Just shout a bit louder. Okay. <laughs> uh, this upgrade. Um, no, great. No, I think that um, there's an interesting study uh, done by Batista um, on SMEs in Europe, uh, like an index of ranking compare based on uh, data by the European Commission, uh, by Eurostat, um, where SMEs stand across all And uh, Spain comes out uh, okay. Like quite in the middle, uh, only one place, Germany, is uh, maybe surprising to some, um, and quite clearly ahead of France. Uh, um, but when you drill into that data, um, it's interesting to see why Spain is performing well. Uh, SMEs in Spain are performing quite well in their um, sustainability um, focus. Uh, basically, are very conscious of net And also, they are weaker on internationalization, so on using the possibility, for example, by e-commerce to export. Um, so this is actually what we see a lot when we 
here we manage 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 sanitize uh, 50,000 that sell through the stores, um, and you see that they are struggling sometimes with the step outside. Struggle to reduce possibilities for increase stores, um, and we see that there's a big room for the reason for that, uh, there are many, but lack of skills, a lack of understanding how e-commerce is available in commerce. Um, there's also a lot of barriers, and my own single market operation management, but many barriers still um, in businesses. Um, and so these are some of the reasons we see why we So I would focus on that. I think that Spanish government putting a lot of effort um, to help SMEs, and I think we should focus on using services that can help them to become more digital, including cloud, including, of course, digital shipping tools. They're all possible to be able to scale at the global level. Um, just to let you know that uh, from, from Amazon's side, we have a program called Ega, often in Spanish, but basically it's a free program for SMEs to be able to learn about uh, how to become successful. Not just Amazon, but there is a lot of robots in other marketplaces. Um, and basically, that can grow. In fact, there's a lot of need. So we're very happy that the Spanish government is doing a lot. And okay, so Anna, building upon up about on what Christoph was talking about then. So how can you see SME scaling up and how can you see your relationship with them as Booking.com developing in the future? So let me start with the mission. It sounds like a cliche, but I think that it really orients our action with SMEs. We want to empower the people to experience the world. So that means leverage technology to take the friction out of traveling. Traveling can be really stressful and it can go wrong. So we want to put our technology to the service of our partners and to the service of our clients so that they find travel an easy thing. And you know that tourism has expanded in the last few years, and that can have many causes. But we like to think that digitalization is at the core of it. People travel now more, not only because we've been out of the pandemic and we want to explore the world, but because it's easier. So you can compare and you can, you know, find a place where to stay. It's just a click away, boom, you do it. Also, you can compare among many, many, many options. So that can lead to savings. So that can lead to additional extra nights. So people actually stay longer. So that's the value that we bring to SMEs. I said before that we have 200,000 active listings in Spain. Most of them are SMEs because our you know, our companies in Europe, they're, they're SMEs. So when they work with Booking.com, what they see is that people stay longer and that they can compete with big hotels like Hilton's, Marriott, you know, these this big international chains because it gives them the visibility and they're in the same page as, as the other. So I think that this partnership is, is really strong. Uh, Booking.com wouldn't be the same platform if we didn't have this wide variety of choice. I think that's actually why people go to Booking.com and not to other OTA, because they know that everything's going to be there. And, and, and I think that that empowers a lot of SMEs. We've, we do a barometer to all of our partners. Uh, we try to do it twice a year. 
And now we are seeing that after the pandemic, actually SMEs are hurting a little bit more than big companies to try to keep up. The reasons are different, but we believe that the main reason is because SMEs are facing energy costs. And when you're a large company, you can do a lot of investments to, you know, to have a solar panel in your building or, you know, you have economies of scale, but when you're a little business, you don't have that economy of scale. So I think that it's super crucial that companies like ours, like Amazon, like many others, still promote and support SMEs because they're the true European champions out there. Okay, well, sticking on the theme of sustainability then, so Daniel, how have you been able to manage at Wallbox the relationship between this digital transformation and, and well, maintaining or applying sustainability? For, for us, it's crucial. I mean, we've born uh, eight years ago, so we are digital natives. So I, I don't use even uh, personal cars. So yesterday during the lunch, I had no cars to, to give to people, right? This is just an example. Um, so we are digital natives and we are sustainable natives. So in our mission, it's how to decarbonize the, the mobility, right? So it's the perfect symbiosis for us to be, right? Digital plus sustainability. How we do that? We do that by making easy to drive your EV car, right? EV cars are the next thing to come. We have some haters, we have some people that they love. I have personally two cars, two EV cars at my home, and I drive everything electric, except yesterday I had to take a plane to come here, and it's <laughs> not electric yet, yet, but it will be sooner. But I took an electric bus, they, I took uh, the train to come to here, so it's, it's the way how we do that, right? So we try to make it easier for people to reduce the impact that we had. Just the flight that I took yesterday, just for me, it emitted like 300 kilos of CO2 just to be here today with you, right? And, and that's, the, that's the reality of our world. And we are smashing our world. And Wallbox, we are trying to change that. Is there any component, though, in your operation where you say, okay, fine, let's make it even more sustainable. Is there anything that you're working on right now? Well, we are, we are trying to facilitate this transition, right? So people, when, when they buy the car, they, they stay months analyzing all the different cars and the, the different characteristics. And it's not the same for the EV charger, right? You just give the first charger that they give to you. Even sometimes the, the, the retailer give it for free to you, right? Uh, but we need to ensure that the chargers that you're getting, for example, our most sold charger is Pulsar Plus. It's the top world's sold charger, more than half million of units. And we need to ensure that that charger really um, helps you to be uh, sustainable. How we do that, for example, if you have solar panels at your home and you are uh, having surpluses because it's uh, a very sunny day, then automatically the charger starts charging without having you to configure anything, right? Because you're generating energy for free, so you have to use it, and it's clean energy, right? And, and that's what we do many, 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 many things. For example, in big buildings, we try to reduce their energy bill by providing batteries and bidirectional energy cars. So for example, a car that is not just a car, is a battery with wheels. You can charge the car when it's cheaper or when it's cleaner, and then use the energy that you have stored in your car to pull this energy back to your building when it's uh, dirtier, right? And that's what we do at Wallbox. 
Okay. Well, Carlos, the question for you then, considering that we're talking about sustainability, why did your presidency not focus solely perhaps on sustainability? Uh, given that, you know, we, we've got various wars going on, we've got an energy crisis, um, COVID hangovers, etc. Why was digitalization really your focus? And well, what do you think it can, you know, as your presidency is, of course, ending, um, what sort of, I don't know, factors well, can you make sure in place going forward for the block? Well, I think, I think the, this has been mentioned a little bit. This transition is dual. And I think in Spain, indeed, we believe in that. I think we are one of the champions on, on, on sustainability and green energies. And we are trying to make digital uh, an instrument to really improve this and also to measure and to, to be sure that, uh, again, uh, the digitalization is a little bit green. So it's a virtuous circle. So digitalization tools could help uh, energy consumption. And at the same time, you have to make digitalization not uh, energy, consu energy cons consuming no? in, the, in, in certain terms. But I would like to, to come back to, to, to a quite important uh, issue which was put on the table by Chris, I think, was mentioned. The question single market. Let's say single market. We have to really go in that direction, really go in that direction. The Commission has, as you know, uh, recently presented the work program. In the work program, there is an enormous long list of reporting which not should, which they are going basically to remove. And I think this is the way of going. We have to really believe that uh, this single market should be a reality, not only for, not only for SMEs, but with some specificities, again, for startups and scale-ups. And we have to really to put in place the, the Commission in the next legislative period, they have to really uh, be committed to a, a serious fitness check on how the single market and how digitalization, how, how single market is working and how digitalization could help the single market. Because uh, we talked many times about the, uh, the, the beauty of United States, really an enormous market. We are even a bigger market than United States, but we have to really to take advantage of this a single market to um, uh, help our uh, really uh, our companies to grow and develop in this in this in this single market. You talked before, uh, Chris, about internet internationalization. Let's first promote Spanish companies to sell in Europe, really taking advantage of again the single market. I think we are not uh, really um, using all the all the all the capacities. You, and the Commission should, should take it seriously. Just to quickly follow up, for you, what are the barriers then for Spanish companies? Well, there are many barriers. And uh, for instance, I put an example, interoperability. I think we are, we are working in a really tiny proposal in interoperability. But this should be put on the table to facilitate systems, something, something basic to talk among them in many areas. So I think, again, this should be part of, a, of a, an ambitious solution for the next commission. This, this could really be a breakthrough. And so, Christoph, how can companies like you um, also help make this breakthrough that, um, to make the single market, you know, strengthen so that, uh, digitally strengthen as well, so that SMEs can, and not just Spain, but all over the mm -hmm. Europe, really take advantage of it? Well, I mean, first of all, thanks for, for the reference. I think you're spot on. Um, I mean, just an example again, uh, Amazon started operating in Europe in 98, 1998. 
that was only three years after the company was founded in the United States. That seems so and true. I'm just thinking about 1998, thinking, oh my God, were you really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, really. I mean, 1998 uh, in, in Germany. Um, and basically, um, it was only five years after the, the single market was created. So, you know, 25 years of Amazon here, 30 years of the single market. And I think both are connected. I think we have grown to the scale uh, where we are currently, where 125,000 um, SMEs use Amazon to sell abroad and to export and all of that because of the single market. I mean, we are closely linked to that. Um, and so I think that there are many of these, of these issues you just mentioned, um, Carlos, uh, regarding you know, barriers. I mean, I will just, we're in the Brussels, Brussels bubble here, but let's go down to reality of people out there, okay? So, you're an SME, you want to sell from Spain to whatever, to Belgium. Um, the moment you have your inventory, so your things stored outside of Spain, you have to go through a specific VAT registration in Belgium. And if you have it in you know, another country, you have to do it again. This is bureaucracy, which makes no sense. You know? So the commission came up with actually a proposal of a single VAT ID where you would just register once online, that's it. And then you could basically put your inventory where you want in Europe, serve your customer faster, blah, blah, blah. This is not going forward. There's no political will to do it because no one is drilling down on these issues. I mean, it's not as sexy as doing AI regulation or other things. I understand, you know, but it's super important. It would unlock, you know, billions of savings in Europe. Just one example or another. We could use technology for labeling. I mean, I understand that we have a lot of languages in Europe. Uh, in Spain, we have even a couple of languages, you know. So, but, you know, you cannot print all the information we would like to put, you know, on these little labels, you know, just physically. But we have, you know, possibilities by technology. I mean, the moment you receive this booklet for every little device or whatever you have bought, which is full of languages you don't understand, you know, usually there's a QR code. You scan it and there's a video showing you. So... What's the problem? Digital labeling could be a solution for all of that, you know, but still we put in, by the way, for, from a sustainability standpoint, horribly, you know, this little booklet in every little product and everyone throws it away immediately because no one uses it anyway. So we could do, you know, digital labeling and so on. And then just uh, to end on, on one note, um, Amazon completely supports sustainability in Europe, as I have explained. But we have to be careful that all the new legislation we put in place right now for sustainability will not be new barriers for the single market. I think we should be uh, conscious that we have to go in a harmonized way from Brussels to do these kind of... And I understand that some kinds want to go faster, some want to go slower, but we should kind of be able to create kind of new regulation in a harmonized way. I mean, that would kind of create right from the start a more unified single market, which is so crucial, as I just explained. Well, we have, well, considering I'm the moderator, I'm stealing five minutes. I'm sorry, Mr. Viola. Uh, I'm going to steal five minutes from the next part um, of the program because there are a few questions from um, the audience. So, uh, Zhao asked, and I think this one will be for Anna, because it's also one of my questions. What about the regulation of this new area um, of digital? Um, yeah, so basically, let's talk about the regulation. Regulation of digital. I think that's been. <laughs> that's been the, I mean, this whole Booking.com, from what I understand, um, under the DSA, it has been designated a very large online platform, yeah. which confers obviously new obligations. So, are you excited by those obligations? No, I think I, I, I think that we've been really, really supportive of all of the new legislations and proposals coming from the European Commission, and I think that this political term has been really intense and at the same time it has posed a great opportunity 
for all of us to really have the level playing field. I think that this has been the most used word in this political term, but it's true. We needed that level playing field because we were comparing apples to pears to lemons. And now we have a framework by which we're all working in the same area. So I think that now that the DMA and the DSA has finished, the AA Act hopefully will finish soon. Actually, AA Act is, is a very good example of, of a regulation that we've promoted and supported because we like the, the risk-based approach and we hope that it comes out soon because we are making AI made in Europe in our headquarters in Amsterdam. So we need the clarity on how to move on and, and, and what to do or not. So that's, that's really crucial for us. So what I would say in digital regulation, I think that now is the moment to let the dust to settle a little bit, to see how it goes, to really implement it, to see what are the good parts, the bad parts, uh, you know, what could be part of a re future refit in the future. And hopefully in the next uh, term, we will be more focused on this part of the implementation on, on, on sustainability that is the challenge for humanity. Um, and, and, and yes, hopefully we're at the end of an era. Um, and, and yes, uh, let's see, let's see if it, if it brings that level playing field that we all need. End of an era, but start of a new cycle. Um, and staying on the theme of sustainability, uh, Beatrice, and I think this is definitely going to be a question for Daniel, says last year the Californian governor asked residents to stop plugging in their electrical cars amid the heat wave. Could that happen in Spain? I mean, obviously, all over Europe, we hold these horrible temperatures of 40 plus. Um, so due to these high temperatures during summer in Spain, what are the benefits of having an electric car? Go for it. Yeah. Well, the main benefit is that you don't emit, right? Mm -hmm. And then you pay far less. Um, at, at my place, for example, with my two EV cars, I've been reducing 90% my, my mobility bill so from 300 euros to, I think it's uh, 30 euros per month. So that's crazy. Um, we need to understand the largest machine that the humankind has invented, do you know which one it is? Is the electrical grid. Okay. The electrical grid. And the American electrical grid, because they didn't have uh, World War II, mm. it's older than ours. So their electrical grid is much more unstable. They're having much more problems. And we have companies like PG&E that they're trying to invest trillions of dollars to make it better. But they're not. So they, they're understanding that the future, the solution is EV cars. Because as soon as you have batteries on the demand side, on the consumption side, then you can regulate the consumption. right? In Europe, we have a much more robust uh, electrical grid because we had a war. Uh, so we had to rebuild our electrical grid almost from scratch. And we are not having that amount of problems as they have today, but of, of course it will come. So companies like Wallbox, we are evolving the technology on how you produce with more renewable energy, which is more uncertainty by default, and how you then balance the demand side, right? So how you balance the cars. And that's why one of the challenges that we have when we try to sell in Europe is the compliance, is the legislation, you know? Because it's just one whole electrical grid, but each country has their own legislation. And we invest millions of euros in development trying to adapt our products to the local electrical legislation. And this is a, this is a problem. And this is a challenge that, that, that we could solve, right? And then, for example, bidirectional cars, as, as they will come next year, in a couple of years' time, 
uh, it will be a huge solution for that. So your car, my car is nowadays parked at the airport of Barcelona with thousands of cars. And my car is electric and it's a battery. Imagine thousands of batteries parked for 48 hours and the airport can get benefit of that. Uh, maybe in a change they can reduce my parking price, right? So it's a lot of businesses that will come in the future years and Wallbox is there working today, trying to use the EV as the solving problem for, for, the, for the electrical grid. Okay, um, I will give the last words to Carlos because I am being asked um, by everyone at Euractive to get off stage now. Um, so Carlos, how could Spain lead the digital decade into the EU? Wow, what a question. <laughs> I think that, uh, look, uh, trying to, 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 to push in the same direction we have been pushing in the, la in the latest years. Uh, I think we have, again, this role of uh, challenger in between different uh, sensitivities in, in, in Europe. And, uh, and indeed, uh, I think uh, we have a, a, a role to play, uh, again, working particularly uh, in this uh, in this area of uh, improving uh, connectivity, uh, fostering the debate on this, I think we have been doing it recently, as I said, uh, promoting uh, startups and scale-ups exactly as we have been doing uh, until now, and again, uh, also promoting this exercise of uh, improving the single market with the tool of digitalization. I think this, again, is, is a message, uh, and, and uh, look, I have been uh, seeing the commission, different different commissions, uh, uh, less than Roberto, but <laughs> and each commission, I think, improves the exercise of uh, regulatory uh, smart regulation. I think the, the new commission should go in that direction, again, with a particular attention in uh, the single market. Okay, well, let's hear what the Commission is going to do. So thank you, of course, panellists, and thank you, everyone, for your questions for these panellists. I'll now hand over to Miguel, who's the VP Executive at A-Digital, who's in conversation with the gentleman over there, Roberto Viola, the Director General at DigiConnect. So thank you, panellists. Thank you so much. Please. <laughs>
are having to promote the digital decade. So today we are talking about um, European tech champions, connectivity, uh, cross-sectional use of emerging digital technologies, digital talent, the, the capacity to hear uh, Spanish companies, but also international companies about their stories here in Spain is powerful. And we think that hearing from, from your side, this European perspective connecting with the Spanish case is going to be very, very important for all of us. So I will, thanks for, thanks for being here. And I will start asking you after the, the last report or the last study of the implementation of the digital decade, uh, what is your perspective after the recent pu publication of this uh, study? We have been analyzing very in detail. It's powerful, these new methodologies and this way to understand the, how, how process is going to tackle. For us also from a Spanish perspective, it's very innovative, public innovation, statistics, measuring, measuring policies is crucial because we are in a hype about digitalization, but we need to, to be close to understand how that is evolved. No? So thanks for, for being here and please. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Good morning, everyone. It's, it's really a pleasure uh, to discuss with you a little bit uh, where we are. Uh, so let's start with digital decade. Uh, I think, uh, let's, first of all, uh, it's a bit of a glove half empty. So I'll start with the full part, and then we'll uh, discuss what, uh, what still is missing. First of all, you said it, I can only uh, underline this point. The digital decade, uh, measuring the digital decade, the report has been, uh, uh, this is the first year, quite a change with respect to the past in the way we were measuring the performance of Europe in digital. Because we used to do for many years uh, the DESI, the so-called DESI index, which is a composite index, uh, and basically done by the Commission, and then served uh, to the member states, to the stakeholders at large. This year we changed completely the approach, because first of all we abandoned the composite index, which was a little bit criticized because of uh, the weights of the various parts of the index were a bit decided by us, a little bit, you, you one might say, arbitrary, or, I mean, lack uh, in absence of a clear scientific reason why one or the other should have a different weight. It, this uh, new system has been decided together in consultation with stakeholders and with the member states, so empower the member states much more to actually be responsible for what they read on the index. The other point is uh, that we inserted KPIs and trajectories uh, to show dynamically what if uh, things would not change, what if change, things would change for good or for worse. And this also gives a completely different taste to the approach. So from the methodology point of view, participation of stakeholders and member states, I think uh, it's a 10 out of 10. I think we, we reached uh, the objective of uh, having much more participation, much more, as you say, analytical understanding of what was going on. And I think this uh, uh, has been well accepted everywhere in Europe, 
and I would say not only in Europe, in the world, because I think it's the most complete exercise that exists in the world of measuring the digital economy. So then looking at the content, uh, because that's uh, just a shell. In terms of the content, uh, I think the, the good part of the story is that uh, when you take uh, rollout of fiber, we passed the 50% mark in Europe. Uh, when you take uh, 5G deployment, uh, we are uh, uh, over 70% uh, everywhere, reaching uh, 80%. When you take uh, other uh, targets, such as microelectronics, uh, there are investment, important investments. The GPAT uh, generated a commitment for investment more than 100 billion. So uh, we start to see uh, a flow of uh, investments in Europe. Uh, which comfort us towards the objective of uh, reaching 20% of the world uh, uh, production in Europe by 2030. So there are a number of uh, digitization of public administration and health is going in the right direction. Probably we can say that Europe is the most digitized when it comes to public services in the world, and that's, uh, that's good, good uh, for Europe and good for the citizens. So this is the half full part. Let's now look at the half empty part. 50% of uh, fiber coverage is nice, but there's another 50% that is not there because the target is 100%. And in too many countries, uh, 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 this is not the case. Uh, uh, and we see that, I mean, there are no clear perspectives how we get to the 100%. And these are also countries that they think they are the best in class. I mean, uh, when, I, when I look at uh, the investments in fiber in uh, north of Europe, uh, it's not really what one should expect. Uh, so, uh, and these are the countries that traditionally were on top of uh, uh, the league with, during the Desi times. When I see Spain, this is one of the very strong assets of Spain. So well done, Spain, when it comes to fiber. Uh, 5G, I think, uh, as I said, uh, extremely good, uh, the number. The number looks good. But when you look into the number, there's something that uh, we are extremely worried about. The real 5G, uh, not just the one that you see as a symbol on your smartphone 5G, but the real one, the native one, uh, the one that uh, is all the advantages of 5G, low delay, I mean, uh, real-time service and all this, it's deployed only, say, 30% in Europe. A bit, uh, a bit more, a bit less depends from the country. You know, there we wanted really to show this, this one and to show only that one. Uh, but the member states voted us down. They wanted to show the big number, the nice number. But I mean, uh, uh, putting the reality under the carpet is not really a clever strategy. The reality is that Europe do, must do much more when it comes to the real 5G, because this is needed by industry, is needed by transport industry, by service industries everywhere. So th there's a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of work to do. When we look in uh, projection, uh, digitization of SMEs, we will not reach the target if it continues like this. Uh, and this is, for instance, a part where Spain has to work a bit, a bit more. Uh, so there, there's a lot of work to do because, of course, uh, SMEs are the backbone of the European economy. 
and clearly, I mean, uh, by size, by uh, investment, is the most difficult part of the story. Adoption of AI also is uh, below the, 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 the kind of trajectory that should uh, lead us to target, so there's a lot of work to do when it comes to the enterprise part. Skills, probably, it uh, remains um, the challenge number one. In certain countries, it's really a problem. Uh, in other countries, it goes a bit better. But when you see the, m the amount of skills which are necessary to drive the transformation in Europe, uh, really, we have to roll our sleeves and work harder. Thanks. Um, a lot of ideas. Actually, thinking on statistics, measuring, just in fir your first part of your reply. Uh, in Spain, we have been measuring the um, GDP, how, how much the GDP is digitalized. Yeah. Uh, the last number, last year, 22.6%, directly and non-directly. But as a private actor, a private organization, we are asking the Spanish government to, to create a satellite account for the digital economy in the sense that we have tourists, like official statistics. We have real estate, official statistics. But now we, we need to move this into a official number for, for our economy to measure in. And also understanding talent, how the talent is evolving, how they work. Um, just thinking on, on, your, on the content, uh, we are an example of organization that grows initially in the e-commerce side. But now we don't know we, what we are because we are representing energy companies, biotech companies, retail companies, tech companies. So that is so, something that shows us the importance of digitalization and his uh, completely cross-sectional angle. And just thinking on these goals or your perception about how the digital legacy should, should evolve, how do you see the, the type of companies, the categories, the sectors, that are going to show us from a European perspective how the digital economy, the digital decade is going to, to advance, no? What are the obvious ones or, or the ones that you think that are going to be an opportunity? Uh, you know, I had a recently a TV interview and I was asked, according to the European Commission, how many companies and jobs will be affected by AI? But I said, look, I mean, uh, it's so destructive uh, that uh, we are not uh, counting by one by one. Yeah, but you should, you should give me a number. Uh, it, uh, I mean, uh, the person interview was really insisting. And then I said, look, if you really want to have a number, I'll give you a number, 100%. And 100% uh, companies, 100% jobs. That's the number. Are you happy now? You have the number. And I think the first answer I'm tempted to give you, you, you are much nicer than uh, the person interviewing. <laughs> but uh, the first uh, uh, answer I'm tempted to give you is all of them. Uh, all of them, uh, uh, you, you, when, when we look at uh, how uh, shaping technologies such as AI, biotech, will impact on, on, on industries, there's no one that uh, uh, will not be affected. Now, uh, if the question is, looking at uh, the strengths and weaknesses of Spain, which ones uh, are the one most likely to benefit? I would say Spain uh, uh, as a, uh, a society, which, uh, which of course, I mean, uh, um, as many other uh, countries, which is a little bit a stratification of a very young 
dynamic society with a society which is a little bit more backward thinking. There are internal, I mean, uh, tensions which you find in other countries. So when you look at all this, but then when you look at, for instance, uh, three or four sectors, uh, take the tourism sector, uh, the digitization of the tourism sector is simply a super win for, for Spain. When you look at uh, the, the fintech and payment sector, there, uh, Spain is extremely innovative and I think has all the opportunities and benefits from profiting from uh, AI, big data, uh, cloud, uh, uh, and, and you add more. I mean, all the transformative technologies come with digital. When you look at uh, uh, the sector of, uh, you, you know, Spain has 40% of uh, in-car electronics when it, you take many, many of the components which are in cars. So when you look at the evolution of car and the ecosystem around uh, larger industries, again, Spain uh, has, has a, lot, a lot to gain, a lot to say. So uh, again, uh, it would be a bit tedious to uh, now list all the sectors Energy. I, I, I heard before uh, the story, which is true, I mean, now the difference between the US and Europe, what happened with energy, but that's one thing that uh, should be said about Spain. Spain is the, one of the largest uh, base of renewables in Europe. Uh, and this is uh, an extraordinary asset, asset because, I mean, in a, in a turbulent world, those companies investing in Spain, uh, they know that there will be always an indigenous supply of energy available. Uh, Spain, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the panorama in, in South Europe, is the best, performs the best when it comes to skills, uh, mathematical or STEM in general. Uh, it's above the European average. Uh, and uh, this uh, it's another strength. So if you combine, uh, let's say, a very, very healthy and uh, uh, vibrant uh, service sector, uh, good uh, energy supply, uh, skills. I think you, you start to pile up the right ingredients for success. Uh, uh, then, uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, time will tell. But I think uh, when you look at, uh, if you would imagine this is a race, especially the, the, the transformative part, which will be highly transformative, what is going to happen, especially with AI. I think Spain has the right uh, 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 shoes, the right, I mean, uh, muscles to run the race. Actually, that, that perhaps is my next question. How, thinking that the strengths that we have, also one thing that is quite illustrative is the number of digital hubs that we have. Yeah. Because uh, we have been hearing that Barcelona, Madrid, but now Mal Malaga, uh, Valencia, Bilbao. There is also this perception of uh, low latency. Of uh, The other day we, we were discussing with a company that is investing in new data centers in Barcelona area. And they told us, when we build a data center or a place like that, considering energy, and they, we create like a secondary ecosystem, the kind of companies that are uh, rising across the capacity to be very well connected. And also we have this startup law that is creating this frame of digital nomads that we are knowing. And it's not clear how, how many people are interacting with our country, from, from our country working with other companies globally. 
And that kind of things mean, mean that we, they, they could uh, reinforce or inspire the effort that you are leading from the digital decal perspective. Look, uh, when it comes to, uh, if I look at Spain, and uh, I said it before, Spain is the one of the best fiber network uh, infrastructure of Europe. So for a digital uh, nomad or a startup, uh, this is a good starting point. Uh, telecom prices are competitive, I mean, one-third compared to the United States, and the quality is better. Uh, connections worldwide, but this is not just Spain, this is Europe, should improve. That's why um, I'm just back from Leon, uh, where uh, Leon, uh, we had, uh, it's a beautiful city, by the way, uh, we had the formal council organized by Spain of uh, the ministers. Everyone insisted on the need to reinforce our submarine cable connectivity because it makes the difference. I mean, it makes the difference to have extremely low latency connection with Tokyo. Uh, uh, and this, I mean, uh, we have a two or three important problems going through the Arctic. I mean, uh, it makes the difference to be connected for Spain very well with uh, South America. We invested in... Uh, new submarine cable, but the, 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 we need more. It makes the difference for Spain to be the hub of growth also in North Africa, in general in Africa, Spain to be well connected. That's for instance the Medusa cable that is uh, Spanish-led, that, that will uh, connect all the Mediterranean. So if you think about Spain becoming much more connected with the rest of the world, and uh, those data feeding the data centers which are in Spain and uh, an ecosystem of companies which are co-located with this data center, you understand uh, how, and especially we said it before, a lot of availability of alternative energy, uh, green energy, uh, which is uh, one or the other. So you have here two pillars which are, extreme, I would say three. You have alternative energy available for data centers. You have an extremely good fiber infrastructure you have a workforce better than average compared to Europe, and frankly, salaries which are competitive, uh, mu much more competitive uh, than uh, the north of Europe. So these are endowment conditions which are extremely interesting. Uh, what plays a little bit, uh, drags a little bit the, this um, force of Spain, which also you, you should uh, have seen the dynamic, I'm sure many of you, you know it, in DESI, Spain, so the old index was nowhere 10 years ago, and now made it uh, uh, to the top 10. Uh, so there's been inc an incredible effort in this direction. Now, the, the, the points where Spain has to work a lot, of course, the first one is the stability of the political system, uh, which created a number also turbulences in areas which are essential for the Spanish economy. Uh, and uh, so reconcile a little bit uh, more uh, the climate in the country and reassure, uh, reassure uh, uh, investors in the world that uh, this is going to be a much more reconciled, stable environment because in the last three years, of course, some turbulences might have uh, uh, raised some questions, not that uh, they slow down, I mean, investment is pain, but there have been questions. And uh, uh, this, is, this is clearly uh, something that uh, you can see uh, that Spain is working on. The other point where a lot has been done, but to be top in class, there's still a mile to go, it's uh, the much more independence uh, for the top schools in Spain. 
if you look at the Spanish business school, they did an impressive thing. Now they are in the top league because they are independent, they can attract funding, they can actually attract the best professors, the best uh, students. The same has to uh, happen for the polytechnic schools of uh, Spain. For uh, uh, the apps, uh, because many of these apps are around uh, those schools, uh, in Barcelona, in Valencia, in Madrid. Uh, uh, so uh, it's clear that the more the state uh, gives those universities possibility to uh, be connected, create incubators, uh, work together, it's, it's a zero cost reform. It's a zero cost reform. Let the education system to be much more independent uh, from central control. Uh, that, that would be extremely useful. So if these conditions uh, start to, uh, let's say, uh, be real, I only see a bright future for Spain. I mean, you look also at the investment uh, in the PERTE program for microelectronics, they are quite impressive. We are investing heavily in supercomputing in Spain. I hope in four or five weeks from now we will uh, inaugurate the new Mare Nostrum 5 supercomputer, which will be number five in the world, and more investments are coming. So there are conditions coming, that's, uh, that's work, but optimism should be the word. Thank you. I think I'm going to share two questions from the audience. But just thinking your point about education, we, we recently made an, an exercise to analyze how the scale-ups and the Spanish unicorns are hiring. And something that was very powerful was to understand the connection of how they acquire talent through the prof formation professional, professional training, education programs, um, that is like a powerful space for them to get people knowing technology. And also very interesting how people go out of these scale-ups and unicorns and start creating yeah. their own companies fully basing on technology, emerging technologies that we are always talking about. No? I think this is the key point. Mm. So the connection between excellent schools, business schools and polytechnic schools and the startups mm. and how you create an ecosystem. Uh, so I have no doubt uh, that Spain, has the, my daughter studied in Spain, so that, that is a, 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 a proof that, uh, I mean, uh, even the Viola family has trust in, in the system. <laughs> uh, um, you, you keep this uh, to the end, it was. Yeah, uh, it was a kind of. But many colleagues uh, in this uh, top school in Spain, or my daughter, could not stay in Spain because they didn't get uh, a permit to stay. This is a disaster. This is a total disaster. So you attract the best students from the world. Uh, they like Spain. They like a lot, I mean, the environment. They would uh, die to stay because, I mean, when we had the, 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 the celebration, there were many coming from India, from uh, all over the world. And they all told me it's extremely difficult to get a working permit. Now, that's the blue uh, card reform that uh, after so many years has been passed. I really uh, hope that Spain will, will adopt quickly uh, a fast track system. Uh, because Europe, I mean, uh, it's an old continent. We need the best talent from the world. I mean, uh, when you look at the family name of people in uh, Silicon Valley, you don't really recognize the funding Pilgrim Fathers, I mean, uh, from these uh, family names. So I hope that more and more we see less family names uh, with the Spanish uh, uh, and from all over the world. This will be the same, because Spain is one of the best places to be in the world. 
to live and enjoy. Uh, and, uh, but you need to retain the people in Spain, uh, because now there's the absurdity. You attract them in the best schools, and they cannot stay. Uh, so I, I'm going to just share with you two quick questions. Sorry, because there are many. So the first one is, could we expect more ambitious investment framework from the next commission on quantum cloud and its AI drawing from the lessons and insights from the EU Chips Act? Sorry, because, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, first of all, I'm horrified, horrified to the fact that uh, we, in the next, uh, very, very near to here, there's a European Council. Uh, and some countries are proposing to cut funds to digital uh, in order to cover up for expenditures. Uh, that's, uh, that's suicide, no? This is uh, suicide. And also, I don't reconcile those leaders saying, Europe must be modern, Europe must be in the forefront of technology, and then the best wonderful idea to find the money which is necessary to run the union it's by cutting programs, including digital uh, euro program. That, for me, is a bit suicidal. I close parenthesis. Um, the, the point uh, uh, is that when you take quantum, uh, how much Europe is investing in quantum, public investment uh, is the highest of the world. Uh, it's more than US, it's more than China. When you combine public investment and private investment, uh, Europe is less than US. So here, clearly, Europe needs to continue investing in quantum, and that's one of the proposals we made for the revision of the step of um, the MFF with the STEP program. Uh, we have done a lot, but more needs to be done. On AI, we are subscale. We are clearly subscale. We should, but although, I mean, uh, now we open our supercomputers to start up, and this is already working for real. But we need to do much more. We need to continue to do this miracle we have done with supercomputers that we have the largest grid of the world. But in four years, I mean, this will be, I mean, uh, needed to be replaced, and these are billions of euros. So I think in this term, uh, things have improved. But uh, to really do the kind of, uh, let's call it quantum leap, the, the gigantic step, I think probably Europe needs to double what it's been doing in, in these uh, five years. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. Um, it has been a pleasure. We have some kind of key messages that we are going to get with ourselves about your perception of Spain, uh, personal also. And thank you very much. It has been an honor to be with you this morning. So thank you. Thank you. Feel free to. Um, thank you so much. Okay, I guess I will stand here. Okay, so wasn't that a fascinating conversation? No, please keep sitting. Please don't go anywhere. There's still another panel to go. Um, and with that, it's now time to introduce the second panelist. And moderating it is Laura Ruiz Jimenez. She's the manager in comms and institutional relations at A Digital. Laura, please take the floor. Good morning. Buenos dias, good morning everyone. I would like to ask the speakers to join me on the stage, please. Antonio, Alicia, please join me here. We have Raquel. Yes. <laughs> 
I think if Oscar is outside, maybe you can. So I think we're all set again. Good morning, and first of all, first of all, I would like to introduce our speakers. We have here Alicia Sanchez, head of Go EU Government Relations at Banco Santander, Antonio Vargas, head of Public Policy at for Iberia at Amazon Web Services, Raquel Jorge, Policy Analyst at Elcano Royal Institute, also uh, Oscar Mendez, CEO of Strategio, of Stratio, and online we have Diego Rubio. Uh, online from Spain, the director of the National Office of Foresight and Strategic in the, in the Spanish government. So, yeah, thank you for joining us today in this conversation about Spain and its strategic role as a digital hub in, in Europe. As you know, uh, some time ago, the European Union expressed its desire to achieve an open strategic autonomy and now the digitalization has added a new dimension on this, on this concept and this reality. In this context, Spain, and especially during the Spanish presidency of the EU Council, has an opportunity to, to share its own view about this, this concept. And actually, uh, the Spanish government just released a new paper of, about strategic autonomy with, let's say, a collaborative approach between the EU and the like-minded countries. So I have a question for, for you all. I would like to hear your views about um, if Spain may have its own version of the open strategic autonomy with a more uh, collaborative approach. Maybe we can start with you, Diego. Uh, you can open the, the debate and while we jump here with our speakers on the stage. Wonderful, can you hear me? Perfectly. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry I couldn't be there with you, but we are having the industrial days at the GRC here in, in Seville, and I, and I was I was uh, was forced to come and, and speak here. So um, maybe next time. So just in a nutshell, um, what we wanted to do was to um, have a, a collaborative approach to this because we realized that instead of making decisions a month before uh, informal meetings, um, sharing one draft. Uh, there was a lot of uh, data missing, there was a lot of discussions missing on this topic. So we created this project a year before Granada um, uh, in September uh, uh, last year. And we've been working with uh, the 27 member states, uh, 250 experts of 80 different ministries for over 10 months, precisely to understand um, what are the real challenges and opportunities regarding open city autonomy. Um, and, and, and this is a way of Spain to uh, lead in Europe in a different way that all the big nations are used to lead in Europe. So instead of using um, our our weight and, and our side to to say this is what we think we should be done, we should it should be done, and then trying to uh, um, to move other member states to your position, we've crafted a position working with the 27 member member states. Yeah, I would like to hear your views. You want to add yes. something to the to the topic? To the, yeah, to the, so regarding this uh, topic of open strategic economy, 
I firmly believe that the response to the risky dependencies is not uh, harmful protectionism, but uh, are mutually beneficial interdependencies. So uh, Spain did great in the uh, digitaliz digitalization strategy, but uh, it would have not been possible without uh, our companies accessing the best technologies, the best talent, and the critical raw materials we need from outside. So uh, we need to be uh, careful in uh, limiting the access to all these um, global assets uh, because this could be uh, counterproductive for the competitiveness of the EU companies and also for the EU autonomy. So to increase the, the, the resilience of, the, um, yeah, of Spain, of Europe, uh, I think is more fruitful to work uh, in strengthening the partnerships with uh, like-minded countries like Latin America and Spain is in a uh, privileged position to act as a bridge and also the Spanish companies that uh, Santander operate at both sides of the Atlantic that are natural channels of transmission of values, standards and best practices in both directions. So uh, yes, I think uh, uh, we for instance, uh, and let me put an example, we are actively collaborating in the Global Gateway project. So under this umbrella, we're exploring uh, projects in Latin America mutually beneficial, such as the extraction of lithium in Argentina. As, as you know, the lithium is a, a raw material that is critical for the digital and green transition. So I think uh, Spain as the Spanish companies could play a pivotal role in the EU strategy uh, to economic security in an open and less fragmented world. Antonio. Do you agree with this approach? Absolutely. I, I want to start uh, thanking this invitation and also congratulating the government of Spain for pushing and creating this concept of a very open strategic autonomy. In AWS, we are committed to the digitization of Spain and Europe, and we celebrate the efforts to an open strategic autonomy that it's uh, actually socially fair and environmentally sustainable. Innovation and technological progress do not happen in isolation, as you said. And um, we need to joint efforts based on uh, cross-border flows of information. We need to harmonize rules and regulations um, and all these to strengthen our resilience. And AWS is supporting the European and the Spanish resilience, both with uh, cloud services, more than 200 different types, including cybersecurity or AI, but also with an unparalleled digital infrastructure. And we just launched in Spain a cluster of data centers <coughs> um, that they are linked and connected with information um, replicated in each one of them with low latency because it's less than 100 kilometers among each other. Um, and that's what could be help, uh, a strong help for the resilience in Europe. We have an example and it's Ukraine because we migrated 10 million gigabytes of essential data from 42 government entities and 24 universities in Ukraine. Um, and it's actually to, to keep 
their critical services running. That's why the, the President Zelensky honored AWS with the, um, with the Ukraine P pre, uh, Peace Prize because uh, we helped to, to keep their sovereignty. And um, we advocate for this strategic autonomy with a very open, pro-digital and pro-business approach to protect the strategic autonomy of Europe without undermining the cooperation and the collaboration with a, a global industry like the Tech One, um, especially with, with key allies or in terms of the Spanish government of like-minded countries. And that's why in AWS, we invest a lot in Europe. In the last five years, we invested more than 21 billion euros. And uh, just in cloud and edge infra. And we just announced uh, this week the AWS European Sovereign Cloud, that it's new, it's independent infra for the EU, and it's separate from our existing infra located wholly in the EU. That's our way to support the resilience uh, on the ground. Okay, thanks, thanks for sharing. And Raquel, do you want to, to add something? Yes, well, first of all, thanks very much for the presentation and the invitation to, to participate in this panel. I'm so very glad to see some of the colleagues in here. I just wanted to reflect maybe in two points. The first one is uh, to maybe highlight uh, how Spain and the Netherlands released this joint non-paper on the open strategic autonomy in early 2022, where they actually set up uh, some lines of work for the future on how, to, on how to address critical technologies. They talked either about strategic technologies or critical technologies, which to some extent may differ. We can discuss maybe about mm -hmm. this later on, also with the private companies that also understand the supply chains, resilience, uh, strategic reserves, etc. So this is the first point, uh, how Spain has collaborated with other countries to make this uh, feasible, at least in terms of the policy goals that they ambition to, to do in the future, and now it is time to materialize them. And I think one clear example is how, during the Spanish presidency to the EU Council, the European Commission has proposed this list on critical technologies, which is based on the economic security strategy, and now it is up to the EU Council to decide which will be the next steps. It's up as well to each member state to provide uh, what they mean by critical technology, how they can diversify the, the portfolio of services that they do have here, and how they can reduce the dependencies from third countries that can represent a high risk. And here we could talk about uh, uh, China, the US, uh, which country is a trusted partner, which country represents a uh, high risk. That would be the first point. And the second point is the much needed coordination across member states, because sometimes uh, I feel we tend to talk about open strategic autonomy as only that, that refers to US, Europe, uh, China, Europe, US, China, European Union, and, and not to talk about Latin America and African countries and, all the, and other Asian countries. The issue here is that uh, we need to talk about, uh, we, we need to talk as well about the coordination across EU member states. A clear example was, for example, when the Netherlands decided a few months ago to join uh, the US-led export control regimes on semiconductors and some AI components towards China. This was a legitimate decision because uh, this is not part of the exclusive competence of the European Union, 
but it is true that uh, he, at this point was a sort of wake-up call for all member states to realize that there was, there was not enough coordination across countries. And this is a tricky point because I, th I, I think that for the case of Spain, but also for other member states' situations, it will be highly important to address, uh, in some cases, a sort of EU-wide approach to open strategic autonomy. Because in the narrative, it can be good, it can be feasible, but when you look at the specific further details from a policy implementation perspective, you realize that they do not coordinate in some, in some cases. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Raquel. And Oscar, you want to add some final notes? Yeah, I think to be the last is easier and difficult because... <laughs> you can wrap up. <laughs> yeah. I will try to, to say something new. For, for me, the obvious about this uh, open strategy for us no, in, in from Spain is to go to some connections with South America, other countries which are very close. So this is uh, the things we are normally doing. Uh, but this autonomy part for, for, for us, we understand this in the critical sectors like uh, military, cybersecurity, uh, water, uh, energy. Uh, the technology should be managed by Europe. Mm -hmm. And this is super important. But I think there is one sector or one technology core that is missing, which is AI. AI right now is more important than water or electricity because AI will manage and it is managing water, electricity, cyber security, and military. So the AI sector, Europe should be autonomous in the AI core technologies, and this is not happening. And in the previous panels, uh, they talk about regulation, single market, Regulation should help AI companies in Europe to, to really thrill, to really grow, and to have uh, the control of this core technology for the future. And the single market should also help to do this. For example, uh, they were talking about Wallbox before. Regulation should help Wallbox to go to the next step, which is not only for DB cars, but to become the next smart grid electrical grid system worldwide. If Regulation Europe help Wallbox and Energy to do that, we will have global champions. And it is the same for AI. AI is as critical as cybersecurity, defense. Everything will be managed by AI. So uh, we think that Europe should be completely autonomous about the AI core and technology we are using. Mm -hmm. Thank you, uh, Oscar. This is possible. It is. <laughs> Diego, uh, I'm coming back to you uh, because you've mentioned Granada before. Uh, I don't know if you could tell us about the impact of the declaration of Granada and also the recent EU report that we have on the digital agenda as, as a country for Spain, but also within the EU context. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so what uh, the Granada Declaration does is uh, basically setting the main principles and priorities that should drive the next uh, European uh, strategic agenda that, as you know, will be approved in the coming months. And, um, and uh, I, I think, um, and, and it finds those principles and, and priorities in the work conducted by the Commission over the past two years. Uh, and on this project that you just mentioned, Brazil in EU 2030, that we conducted with the 27 member states. Um, and and I, I think that it's good news for the digital agenda because um, it does recognize the centrality 
of digital tech, AI, and others um, for the future uh, of Europe. Uh, it does recognize the need to foster the EU internal capabilities in digital tech and services, um, but uh, it does it in a balanced way. And this is what, in our opinion, was missing. So uh, it's balanced because on the one hand, it acknowledges the fact that we need to monitor and reduce the presence of foreign companies in our markets. Um, today, 95% of digital services are provided uh, by non-European companies in Europe. Um, and, and this is a liability for our security uh, that we have to tackle through regulation, through FDI control tools, uh, with changes in our competition policies, with more industrial policy, more state aids, more collaboration between public and private services, um, um, and, and or more support, uh, obviously, to uh, European digital companies that need to thrive and compete against uh, foreign companies. But at the same time, the strategy acknowledges the fact that we should steer clear uh, of the simplistic uh, protectionist temptation that want to expel foreign companies that want to close our borders and things that this will solve our problems, right? And this will make our uh, companies competitive again. Um, because rather is the opposite. We believe and we've been looking at the data that um, what we should do is to try to attract more foreign companies uh, to our soil because they bring opportunities, employment, wealth, uh, because they help us to develop um, innovation, digital ecosystem, that otherwise won't exist because they uh, also support the growth of, of uh, our SMEs in the digital market and also because uh, their presence here is part of that commercial reciprocity that underpins uh, the open international order that uh, Europeans are trying to protect. Um, let's not forget that our trade balance with the U.S. is hugely beneficial uh, for the U.S. Is, uh, for for, uh, for the EU is not the same uh, with Chinese companies, uh, obviously. So um, I, I would say that this is what it does. It's you know recognize the importance of uh, of digital services and digital technologies, but it does it in a targeted way. It focuses in those that, in which we already have a competitive edge or we have the capacity of becoming a front runner in the short. Uh, in a short period of time, um, and it does it in a balanced way, looking at you know internal capabilities, but also at reinforcing our our uh, interconnections with the rest of the world. Thank you very much, Theo. Uh, talking about our strengths, our Deputy Prime Minister mentioned at the beginning of the event that uh, Spain is, is actually um, a strong country in, in connectivity and, and digital infrastru infrastructures. Um, Antonio, from, from your views at uh, all US, I would like to hear your views about this point and why are we a strong country in, in connectivity and infrastructures and also what can we do to even accelerate more this, this leadership? Okay, so Spain is a leader in, in connectivity, that's a fact. So we actually have more fiber than uh, France, Italy, Germany, UK together. Um, as the head of DigiConnect just said, we are leaders also in talent. We have great talent in our country. In AWS, we are contributing to that, and we just announced an alliance with the government, with the um, educational community, and with the tech industry to ensure that um, we can joint efforts um, so the industry can illuminate the uh, educational system, how to contribute to the curriculum, 
um, and we announced this in collaboration with more than 400 vocational training centers, more than 70 universities in Spain. It's also interesting for the industry because um, we could have access to a pipeline of uh, job-ready talent to work. But I think Spain is, um, is special and strategic because of many things. For example, it's geostrategic uh, localization. And it's not only because of the links with the European Union, where we have the presidency now, but also with Latin America. We have the concept of Ibero-America. That's Spain and Portugal plus uh, LATAM and the Caribbean. Um, and that's key for our industry, actually. So it's that, it's talent, it's green energy, and we heard about that in the previous roundtable. And it's the vision that our governments have about the opportunity of technology, always uh, human-centered. I'd say that Spain is moving to the cloud. That's an opportunity for our efficiency our economy and our progress. Uh, that's what we hear from, from our customers. Uh, and that's more than 75% of the top 35 companies in the country, starting with Banco Santander, but also with uh, more than 10,000 SMBs in the country, with the, with the top startups like Wallbox or uh, Stratio, I think it's it's a great example uh, how how Spanish startups are using uh, our global technology to lead their markets worldwide, um, and um, I think that we we just saw a, a research from Public Search estimating that moving ten percent of the government's IT systems to the cloud could be saving Spanish taxpayers uh, up to 15 million euros every year. So we, can th we could now think about what we could do with that amount of money. No? And from AWS, we are trying to accelerate that investing in the country. We just uh, launched that cloud infrastructure, investing more than 2.5 billion euros in the country, impacting the GDP in 1.8 billion euros, and helping the creation of uh, 1,300 full-time jobs. So Spain uh, has a great opportunity to grow, and I think the industry is, is uh, supporting that a lot. Mm -hmm. And Alicia, from, from your views, from the financial sector, the sector is going through this whole process of digitalization, of course. Yeah, so, uh, so, yeah. yeah no, so I, I just wanted to know uh, what are the main challenges uh, for, for you as a sector and also the opportunities to contribute to the EU uh, digitalization? Oh, um, let me first uh, make a statement that I think is not so obvious that the financial sector plays a key role in the uh, digitalization of the economy. So traditionally, banks uh, uh, have been developing digital solutions uh, uh, based on the new technologies to uh, anticipate uh, our customer needs. And one of the most visible examples is uh, the payment space. We 
uh, have now um, instant contactless and fully integrated payment solutions such as Bithun in Spain that is used by half of the population in the day-to-day -day lives. But uh, banks' uh, main contribution to the digitalization is uh, to provide the funding the companies and all the sectors need to uh, develop its own uh, digital transformation. That uh, is true that uh, uh, both uh, in the side of innovation and also uh, on the funding of the economy, we face challenges, uh, mainly through the, the regulation and the lack of integration in the financial markets. So we are uh, constrained by the regulation in our ability to innovate and to access the best technologies and talent. Uh, and this uh, drag our possibility to compete in equal foot with non-bank players. And it's not only the banking regulation, but it's also other regulations that especially affect the, 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 the banking sector, such as the EU cloud certificate or artificial intelligence or data sharing. And uh, the second challenge uh, is the, the, that we in the financial regulation uh, have a conservative bias uh, that does not allow the banking, the, well, the banking and the financial sector in general to uh, cover the financial needs of the companies and especially in the equity market space. So, um, yeah, and this is constraining the ability of the companies also to perform the transformation. And the third element is the lack of progress in the banking union and the capital market union. That uh, uh, implies that we are we continue operating a fragmented market, so it's not possible for the EU financial system to allocate efficiently the financial resources. So uh, what we need is uh, to cope with the the current uh, uh, uncertain environment is more simple and flexible framework, uh, and uh, also more tolerance to failure. So. Yeah, we are completely um, committed uh, with the digital transformation, but we need a framework that uh, allows us uh, to play our role without unduly constraint. I have another, qu another question from the audience that is really linked what were to what you have just said. Um, in your opinion, uh, what are the conditions needed to foster the youth champions? Because not only the, the one that already exists, but also what are the conditions needed to create new ones? So, uh, to be a new champion, you need to be competitive, and to be competitive, you need a scale and you need an efficient uh, regulatory framework. So, on the uh, part of the scale, as has been said, we are all now that we are seated in a gold mine uh, named the single market that uh, we are not fully exploiting because of the lack of political willingness. So, um, yeah, in, in, a, uh, in a study of the parliament, uh, they estimate that part of integration could add uh, 3 trillion of output uh, by 2032. So that's a great number. And further integration means, as has been said before, uh, removing the existing barriers uh, to uh, cross-border operations, further harmonization of the framework, but also start to think at EU scale in the competition rules and in the strategic investments. So the important um, uh, strategic projects uh, on which uh, Spain and other 
uh, countries uh, have joined efforts to invest in, in, in strategic projects is a good example of the way forward. Uh, but uh, yeah, at a time when we face common challenges as, as to sustainability or digitalization, we need uh, to find a way to act together more often at a larger scale. And with respect to regulation, uh, just uh, let me just say that we need the regulation uh, not to drag the competitiveness of EU companies, not only inside our borders, but also in our foreign uh, operations. Because many times the EU regulation, maybe inadvertently, is um, dragging the, the, the competitiveness of the EU companies in the expansion abroad. And I think this is a very important point to reflect on. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you so much. And talking about EU champions, uh, Oscar, you as a, as a Spanish scale-up, um, what do you think, uh, what, what role do you think scale-ups can play uh, in the, this current global discussion? And also you think it makes sense to have a fragmented world or should we move forward to a more harmonized market? What are your views here? Well, we think scale-ups, um, first I think they help to, to give clear examples in the market that it is possible, the scale-ups <laughs> and the unicorns, because people follow success. So if, if you are able to, to compete in the state of the art of technology and to do something that compete globally, which is other way to, to answer the final question of fragmented or global, you have to go global, there is no other way, because technology is global. And then uh, to create examples will lead others to create startups and then because of success to invest more in Europe, in Spain, and then public administration also to help. So this is something that uh, is the way to, to do it. But also scale-ups like the ones that we created help SMBs and other companies to use technology in a more democratized way. Let me explain this a little bit. We are talking here about digitalization and still most of us we are thinking in 20th century concepts about digitalization. Digitalization will not any longer be made by people and this is an error. Digitalization will be made by AI technology that will create the programs, the API, data access, uh, the models, AI models. Everything will be made by AI core technology, not by people. So digitalization for Europe is to help the AI engines to do this digitalization for public administration, big companies, and SMBs. And as long as you can do this, it is very similar to industrial revolution. Uh, we have now a car for every company at home. This was for wealthy people 100 years ago, but because industrial revolution, we were able to, to do this and to put this at the service of any people or citizen in the world. It is the same, it's AI technology revolution because we will create the digitalization, the programs, the models by technology, by AI. It will be available to any small company or any citizen in Europe. So we should stop thinking about digitalization with people. Digitalization will be made with AI. So the AI engines should be the focus. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Oscar. Uh, coming back to you, uh, Diego, we have one last question for you. Um, 
let's say, um, in your opinion, why has Spain become such a critical territory for, for, for investment, for, for VCs and um, for the tech industry players that we have here represented? Um, not because of AI, certainly, because of people. Um, so uh, if you look at, uh, if you think about it, um, Spain already had all the ingredients to, to, to be an industrial hub 10 years ago, right? Uh, we have one of the best uh, physical and digital infrastructure networks in the world. We have a privileged geopolitical position. Uh, we are a bridge between three different continents. Um, we have institutional stability, social stability, and we have a well-trained workforce uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, mid-sized salaries that are very competitive in the, in the global industry. So um, really the only two things that were missing was uh, clean, cheap energy and political will. Um, now we, we have uh, the energy. Um, we have one of the cheapest um, clean energies in, in, in Europe. We are the third EU country in wind and solar electricity in its mix. And uh, what we know for sure is that in 10, 20 years from now, Spain will be still be one of the countries with the cheapest electricity. Um, uh, and if you're looking at clean electricity, one of the cheapest in the world. So um, I think this is one of the main reasons that has changed. Uh, the other thing is that uh, we have a government uh, that has put digitalization at the very heart of its industrial strategies. You know that we've devoted over 20,000 million euros of the next generation funds and the uh, plan de recuperación to, to digitalize our industries and to foster those um, uh, new technologies uh, in, 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 in the digital space. So, you know, I think the combination of these structural uh, elements that advantages that we already had a, year, a few years ago and the inclusion of these two, two new ones, um, cheap electricity and, uh, and, 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 and a significant support uh, to digital companies and digital sectors uh, is what it's explaining now why are we uh, attracting uh, so many industries? Uh, we are at the point in which um, we are attracting more uh, offers that we can take. Um, we are saying no to companies uh, that want to set your data centers or their factories in, 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 our, in our soil because we don't have uh, the space or the human capacity or the energy to, 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 to accommodate them. So um, I think things are going well in, in that regard. Thank you so much, Diego. Um, Raquel, I have one last question for you as well, uh, because we've been talking about collaboration during the whole conversation. And, and as we have seen in the recent conflict, uh, a strong transatlantic collaboration is key. In your opinion, what kind of innovation could the EU lead in, the, in this sense and, and globally? And how can uh, our allies uh, help us here? Yes, I, well, I, this is a very broad question, but if I could <laughs> highlight the two points, it will be first of all based a bit as well on what my colleagues have said. Uh, sometimes I feel there is a missing uh, point, which is how digital policy agendas and innovation agendas will talk to each other. Because in some cases, in some governments, we tend to, th to see both agendas as completely different ministries, as completely different state secretariats, as completely different envoys. And it makes sense for some issues. But if, when you look at the European agenda for innovation, when you look at these European innovation valleys, how to promote uh, much more flexible R&D activities with third countries, 
either from the neighborhood policy uh, activities, for example, Ukraine, or for example, from allies such as the US, or even uh, the, all the research security activities that are now taking place vis-a-vis -vis Chinese universities. So these uh, two agendas are quite separate in most member states. And that's the first point in terms of collaboration inside, but also to to put forward new uh, uh, relationships with third countries. And the second point of this is the conflict and in plural and the global agenda. I will say that uh, when, when you look at the startups in Europe, uh, they have received uh, funding venture capital from usually foreign companies. In Europe, one of the one of the challenges that we still face is the lack of uh, how to commercialize uh, those things that you research very well and that you de develop very well, but you don't have the money to, 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 to you, you don't inject the private money to, to make it uh, uh, real uh, as, a, as, a, as a market product. That will be the first point. And second, venture capital. When you look, for example, at deep tech solutions, uh, the, the combination between science, engineering, and the social impact, which is very broad as well, but we can uh, go into detail if you want in the, in the, in the after panel uh, session. But so you see that uh, there are several topics where startups are supporting uh, third countries, but still there is a need for much greater public support. And for one reason, not because uh, they do prefer private, uh, private funding or, or public funding, but because when you partner with, uh, with a country that is in a conflict, you need to implement due diligence. You need to oversee the security risks and the security opportunities as well of partnering with that country. So uh, there is a need to supervise much more the B2B level, the B2B government level, and the government-to-government -government level. And, and I feel that in, in those cases, in terms of conflict and wars, where the European Union uh, and EU stakeholders are supporting uh, some countries and some stakeholders there, uh, we, 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 not, we need to make a difference between those activities that are held by the intelligence community, which cannot be publicly shared, which makes sense, but those activities, for example, as some companies here and other companies that are not here do as well, I think there we should give much more public outreach about what European companies are doing, and also foreign companies that support the EU's goals, indeed. Of course. And one last question to conclude very briefly, because time is almost up. Uh, it's a very good question for, for all of you. Uh, how do you think Spain can contribute to a digital decade? You already brought up some ideas, but just to conclude in one or two sentences, um, do you want to start? Maybe Raquel, do you want to start? Yes, for sure. Uh, well, I will say that we, we tend to see digital policy as a regulation thing. And every day, uh, in, in my humble position, I try to, to fight to, to, to make to, to make understand digital policy not as regulation, but also as industrial policy and also as the foreign policy on technology. Because we need international agendas that are not based only on ad hoc uh, activities, ad hoc projects, ad hoc initiatives that are held by a company with another government. We need to have this framework of uh, our, a, a true factual uh, foreign policy of technology. And this means engaging EU delegations abroad, engaging Spanish embassies abroad uh, in flagship countries, either China, Mexico, the US, Chile, uh, Kenya, Nigeria. So there is a need to foster this, th th this additional layer that we tend to overlook. Thank you.
Oh, Alicia, very, very briefly, please, because Sorry, we are almost no, out no, of time. Yes, no, I think, I think your final thoughts. It's great, great during the last uh, years in the digital strategy. And I think uh, we uh, yeah, have best practices that can be extended to Europe, such as the sandbox and the startup law. And I think, yes, uh, uh, we need to put a bit more focus on the uh, digital skills and also on the funding of the scale-ups. Uh, but I think, in short, Spain has the strength and the opportunity to become the EU digital hub. And let me say that the Spanish banking sector is uh, ready and willing to be trusted partners in this endeavor. Antonio? I think the Spain can and should try to lead the EU digital decade. Digital decade is about prosperity, green and digital transformation. And uh, actually, green and digital are two sides of the same thing uh, because we don't have more wind or sand than a century ago. So it's about technology. And uh, we've seen how cloud technologies are key not only to save costs or for efficiency, but also for a greener ecosystem. So I think we have a great opportunity in Europe and Spain can take advantage of that. Okay. And Oscar, do you agree with that? Can Spain and should Spain lead the digital Europe? Uh, yeah, I think in Spain, you, you have said it already, but uh, connectivity, energy is a very positive way. But I think also the, the government is pushing in the right direction. So digitalization, as I explained before, and I agree with Alberto, the final goal is always people and people well-being. So uh, it's to move the people to create the digital programs and the digital things that help companies and Europe to, to digitalize to help the engines that will do that. It is like in the Industrial Revolution, no? you, you were doing cars by hand. We can to do the machines that will make those cars. So this is the point for Spain, and I think uh, they are doing it in the right direction to build the engines that will create mm -hmm. the programs to digitalize any, everything in Europe. Thank you, Oscar. And finally, Diego? I would like to close the panel with, with your views. Thank you. No, I agree with with the things have been said. I, I would just add that maybe one of the fields in which I think Spain can really contribute to this digital transition is um, uh, making sure that uh, it is um, done in a way that uh, it won't increase inequalities between territories and between citizens, because this is really the, the main danger, the main threat that we are facing. And, um, and I think Spain, um, uh, because the way our citizens think, our uh, political sensibilities, we're in a good position to be one of the voices in Europe that demands um, this uh, digital transition to be governed in a way that it will benefit everybody and not just, uh, just a few. Thank you so much. So I think time's up. Thank you for, for the conversation. I think it's been pretty interesting. We can continue the conversation outside. And thank you, Diego, for joining from Spain. Thank you. Maria, I give it to you. Her panelists, thank you also to Miguel, and obviously the great conversation with Mr. Viola. So that's it from us at Euractive um, and A Digital. I guess I should look at this camera. I'm not quite sure which one to look at right now. Um, but thank you all for joining, and there are refreshments outside, and see you at the next Euractive event. Thank you. Well done. Mm -hmm.